So as you know, or maybe you didn't know, but the government in China, the Chinese government, um, for the last, I don't know, 50, 60 years, they've been actively persecuting Christians, right? Sending you know, pastors to jail, kicking up missionaries. They were very anti-Christianity because they know that Christianity is a direct threat to their ideology. It's interesting that anywhere where monarchs or dictators or, you know, you know, a powerful party rule dominates a nation, the, one of the first things that they do is persecute Christians because Christianity, the truth of God, is a direct offense against their man-made foolish ideology. Right? So the Chinese government has been cracking down on Christians for the last 50, 60 years. Recently, Xi Jinping, who is a president of the People's Republic of China, said, you know, you go, people, the world thinks we're against Christians. We're not against Christians. Right? That's what he said. I go, whoa. He says, we're not against Christianity. We love Chinese Christianity. He says, yeah, we're not against Christianity. In fact, he says, we love and support Chinese Christianity. What is Chinese Christianity, you may say? Chinese Christianity is Christianity without Jesus Christ, died, crucified, and raised. Chinese Christianity is Christianity without the word of God. Chinese Christianity is you replace Jesus Christ and the word of God with cultural, cultural ideologies, government values, and worldly values. It's like going to McDonald's and ordering a hamburger, and you find out that they replaced a patty with impossible burger patty. Ugh. You know what impossible burger is? It's like, it's like vegetarian ground whatever. It's an abomination, right? So they're replacing the best part, the, the most important part of Christianity, and they're replacing it with cultural ideologies, government values, worldly philosophy. On the outside, there's a, there's a form of Christianity. There's, there's word called God, right? And there's word called church. And there's a word, word called Christian. But these forms of words have no meaning because these forms, whether it's God, whether there's definition of God or Christian or church, these forms are not tied to Jesus Christ or the word of God. I think Xi Jinping is a mastermind, evil mastermind genius. Because he knows if you replace Christianity with, if you extract Jesus and the word of God out and replace it with these man-made things, despite calling it Christianity, that kind of Christianity has no power. It's a dead, empty, 
philosophy, religion. Xi Jinping knows if you take Christ out, the word of God out, it's not a threat at all because it has no power in it. Christianity, grace, faith, is the power, is an energy that changes people's lives. According to my hero, B.B. Warfield, the grace of God is the energy that takes dead things and make them living, right? That's what the grace is. The grace of God is a power that changes things. But I'm afraid many Christians, self-professed Christians, do not know what this change is. They're not experiencing change in their lives because, unfortunately, their Christianity has a form of Christianity but at its core, it's missing the most important thing, which is Jesus Christ and the Word of God. You take Jesus out, you take the Word of God out, and you replace it with, I don't know, political parties? If you go down to the South, I heard, during the sermons, they just preach about how right the Republican Party is, and they just tell them how evil the Democratic Party is. Or you replace it with, you know, Consumerism, if you believe in God, God's going to make you rich. That's very prominent in Africa, in South America, in certain parts of America. Take Jesus and the word of God out and replace it with prosperity gospel. Take Jesus and the word of God out and replace it with Korean culture. You may have forms of Christianity, but they have no power because you don't know Christ and you don't know the word of God. Not you as an embrace, because embrace, I love you, but you as a general people, right? Paul warns us against this in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, at the end of the days, at the end of days, people will have forms of religion but they deny its power, which means people have in the last days forms of religion. They may have thing called God in the church and Christianity, but they have no power in their lives. Because what is most important is missing. Is Christianity without the hamburger patty. Is Christianity, I've tried to think of other examples of important elements Right? But I just the only thing I mean is hamburgers. Hamburger without a hot dog without the Frank. I just thought all this way. You're just consuming empty things without Jesus Christ and the Word of God as a center of your faith. Are you with me so far? Right? Okay, no, no one's sleeping yet. Good. Why is the Word of God? And Jesus Christ, so crucial, so fundamental in, in this thing called religion. It's because through Christ and through the word of God, we get to know how God really thinks, 
Specifically, we get to know how God really thinks about us. If you simplify Christianity and the importance of Jesus Christ and the word of God, one of the ways to to simplify it, there are many different ways, but one of the ways that we simplify it is the word of God and Jesus Christ reveals to us the mind of God and specifically how God thinks about the Christian. How does, what does the word of God, what does Jesus Christ, what does the word of God reveal about how God thinks about us? Like I said during the call of word, um, prayer of confession, according to the word of God, if you are a Christian, if Jesus Christ has redeemed you, paid for your sins, in Christ, God is well pleased with you. And he, he approves of you. When God looks at you in Christ, he feels exactly the same about you as he felt about Jesus Christ, as he feels about Jesus Christ. Some would call me a cult, but I think that's what imputed righteousness means. According to the will of God, when God, in Christ, when God looks at you, he looks at you the same way. He feels about you the same way as he feels about Jesus Christ. Especially the work, the work that, how he feels about the work of Jesus Christ done on the cross for his people. Look, I'm a proud father of two kids, as you know. And I, I am, he's not here today, so I can embarrass him because he's not here today. I am really proud of my son. I really am, right? I really am. He's, he's, he's a, I told him this yesterday. He's a good man. He's a thoughtful man. He really is. He, he's thoughtful with his mother and his sister and with me. He's very responsible, right? He's just a good guy. He wants, he works at Giants so that I don't have to pay for his, you know, spending money. God bless him, right? He does well in school. He's a responsible young man. And when I think about my son, I am so proud of him. Imagine how God felt when he looks at his son dying on the cross so that he could Love and save you and me. How proud would God the Father be with Jesus Christ, who sacrifices life to save people? The pride that God the Father would have, nothing can compare to how he feels about Christ. Scripture says that is exactly how he, God, God the Father feels about the Christian. If you're a Christian, when God looks at you, he doesn't frown, doesn't shake his head like this. He is utterly delighted in you. 
he approves of you. I know that you are aware of your inadequacies. I know that you are aware of your addictions, and I know that you are aware of your failures. And God is certainly aware of that too. And God is working, working in you to let you overcome these things. But at the end of the day, he still feels, he's still very much delighted in you. He still approves of you as he's delighted and approves of Jesus Christ. That's what, that's what the word of God, that's what the gospel reveals. And the Christian is, we're called to spend our days meditating upon this, just thinking deeply about this, and just becoming overjoyed and be grounded by this truth. If this, what I said, doesn't move you, if you think, if it doesn't move you because you think it's the most natural thing in the world for God to love you, then I don't think you know what the grace of God is. If you think, of course God loves me the same way as Jesus Christ, because I'm me. If you think that way, then I think you're missing the point. I don't think you know what it means. Or if you're thinking, I'm such a sinner, there's no way that God could love me because of my sins. There are people out there who think that way. Then you're still missing the point. Your failures accentuate his grace in your life. And this is what I do every morning. I am addicted, if you will, to prayer. Not because I'm a braggart, but because I need, when I go before the Lord, when I think about the truth of who I am in Christ, every morning this identity fills me up, fills my heart up, fills my mind up. It grounds me to who I am. And that leads me to such, so much energy and so much thankfulness and so much great sense of purpose. My thing is, I walk around, I wake up and I walk around like 45 minutes just praying and listening to the Bible and just praying outside. My neighbors might think I'm a crazy man. But I need to do this. Because that's the way that I come alive. When I, and, and when I think about the Lord, as the song goes, as I think about the fact that he approves of me, that he is delighted in me, that Christ gave his life for me, and I am the brother of Jesus Christ, the fact that God is involved in my life, when I just meditate, when I wrap my head around that reality, I am refreshed. How am I full of so much energy at 51 years old doing what I do? Is it because I'm getting five hours of sleep? How do I? And why, why am I so like this? It's because kids, no kids, my friends. I honestly, I tell you, this energy comes from my understanding of who I am in Jesus Christ. That's the bedrock of everything that I do and everything that I am. And that should be the bedrock of everything that you do and everything that you are. 
Do you understand? No amount of sleep or Netflix watching or YouTube viewing can awaken me like this, to awaken my soul like this, but, but like this. You need and I need constantly to remind it of how God thinks about me, how God loves me and forgave me in Christ. I don't understand pastors who don't do this. And I don't understand Christians who, don't, who do not do this. Christians who do not do this are missing out on the very gift that God has given them. They're satisfied with holding on to forms of religion rather than what is true. This is exactly what is happening to Joseph's brothers today. Joseph is incredibly gracious to his brothers. The brothers who tried to kill him. Remember the, bro- remember the brothers beat, an inch of, beat him up to the inch of his life, threw him in an empty well, and sold him as a slave. To these brothers... Joseph is super-duper gracious to them. When they appear before him, when he becomes a prime minister of Egypt, even though he had the power to just totally kill them, he doesn't do that. In fact, he sends them back home with grain so that he can, they can feed their family. And this is what I realized when I was reading scripture to you just now. Remember when the brothers were going back home with the grain, they discovered that they had money in their sacks. The money that their father gave them to buy grain, it was still there. And they thought Joseph was going to accuse them of stealing. When they asked the steward of Joseph's house, look, our grain was like, we tried to buy the grain from you. But we realized after we were going home that the money was still there. We didn't know how we got there. So the brothers confessed this to the steward. But the steward says, your God has provided for you. We received payment for your grain. I couldn't understand what he meant by that. The steward says, you were worried about, you know, us being misunderstanding you as if, that you didn't pay for your grain, but in fact, we received payment for your grain. Who do you think paid for that grain? Who? Who? God paid for that grain? Joseph did. I just realized this just now. I think Joseph paid for that grain. That's a lot of grain. That's a lot of money. Joseph took money out of his account and bought grain for his brothers. Joseph was super duper quadruper. Is that a word? Generous with them. But the brothers were not aware of of Joseph's generosity and grace. 
even though they were living under Joseph's generosity and grace. The brothers were not aware that Joseph was being generous with them. And that is the condition of the Christian. That is the condition of Christians who only hold on to the forms of religion rather than embracing the truth of God. That we're living under the grace and compassion of God, and yet we don't understand that we are. Do you understand? That's what breaks my heart. That's what breaks my heart about so many Christians. There's so much grace and love surrounding us, in us. And yet, we're not aware of that. We just hold on to these empty forms of religion. That breaks my heart. Verse 15. So Joseph, remember a couple of weeks ago, they went back to home and, and they told their dad, Joseph, Jacob, look, the man in Egypt said, in order, we need to bring our brother Benjamin back. They hold our, he, he's holding our brother Simeon in prison. In order to set Simeon free, we need to bring Benjamin back. We need to bring Benjamin to Joseph. Jacob says, no way you're doing that. I love Benjamin more than Simeon. That's more or less what he's saying. Right? Benjamin is the child of my beloved Rachel. By the way, any of your daughters named Rachel, by the way? Okay, good. Let's not name it Rachel. <laughs> right? So Benjamin, Benjamin, Benjamin. It's, my, it's the love of my daughter, it's the love of my, the love of my life, Rachel. So let me, you cannot have Benjamin. Simeon can rot in jail, but Benjamin you can't have. Right? That's what he says. But then they start running out of food that Joseph gave them. And Jacob, through different means, is persuaded to bring Benjamin back. He's persuaded to take Persuaded to, for his sons to take, to take Benjamin to Egypt. So Benjamin and the brothers are going back to Egypt. Verse 15, he says, So the men took this present. The present means not only has Jacob sent Benjamin with the brothers, as you recall a couple of weeks ago, Jacob also sent many gifts to Joseph. Almonds, Myrrh, I don't, I don't know, the other fruits and money, right? Thinking that these gifts will somehow persuade Joseph to be kind to his sons, especially Benjamin. Even though Jacob and his sons were living under Joseph's grace, Jacob thought that he could buy Joseph's compassion through these gifts. You know what I mean? It's weird. He's clearly living under Joseph's generosity and compassion. But Jacob doesn't know that. So he thought he could bribe Joseph's mercy and compassion through these gifts. It's weird. But I think in a sense, that's what a lot of Christians are doing. 
we are living under the grace and mercy and compassion of God. That's what defines us, right? And yet, so many Christians think, I need to give God certain gifts, like gift of my time, gift of serving the ministry, gift of coming to church once a week. If I just do the bare minimum, if I just give God the bare minimum gifts of service or of attendance or something, then God is pleased with me. And that's all really God requires of me, just me giving him certain gifts. Money, tithing, I just give God certain gifts. Serving God in the church is a wonderful thing. Attending church on Sunday is a wonderful, necessary, gracious thing that we, you know. But God is not just requiring you to give him the minimum gifts. He's not so much interested in these little things that you can give him. He's more interested in you becoming aware of the fact that you are living under his grace, that you are living under his compassion, that you are living under his love. We think as long as we give God these minimum things, that's all God requires. That's not what God requires. What God wants from you is to be aware that you are living under his grace and love, and direction, and shepherding. He's not just satisfied with giving of certain gifts, but you becoming aware of how delighted he is in you and how proving he is in you in Jesus Christ. I value your service to the church. I really do. Worship team, I love you. Audiovisual team, God bless you. June is following my hairstyle. God bless you because I'm June's idol. God bless you, right? God bless you for your tithings. God bless you for your VBS volunteering. God bless you guys. God bless you for the coffee, right? God bless you for the money management. God bless you for the deacon time commitments. God bless for everything that you guys do for, for the church. But that is not the most important thing that he's asking of you. He's asking you to be grounded, to be blown away, to meditate and think about his grace and love for you in Christ. Yeah? So Joseph's brothers, Jacob didn't understand they're living in Joseph's grace. The brothers didn't know that they were living under Joseph's grace. So, he, so he, they go before Joseph, and little Benny's there, right? And when Joseph sees his brothers and Benjamin... He tells his steward, right, the head of his house, go prepare a meal at my house, right? At my, invite these people to my house and slaughter an animal for, for lunch at noon. Slaughtering animal is a big deal, 
Right? I, think, I think, you know, if you have a valuable guest, you will slaughter an animal. Right? I think you do it in Korea, too. When you go to Korea, if you're a valuable guest at a farm, they'll kill a chicken for you. My dream, my bucket list is to go to a, go to a household in Korea where they kill a chicken for me. Right? That's my bucket list. Someone kill a chicken for me. Right? If you're the guest of honor, they'll kill a chicken for you. They'll kill a chicken for Joseph is telling his steward to kill, a, kill an animal so that he could serve his brothers. And the steward says, okay. So he goes to prepares, prepares the food. And the steward then leads the brother to Joseph's house. Clearly, they're living under, the brothers are living under Joseph's grace and compassion. And when they arrived at Joseph's house, they thought, uh-oh, he's bringing us here as a trap, right? Maybe, what, what did they say? Maybe it is because of the money. It's because, you know, he found out that we didn't really pay for the grain before. He's bringing us here to trap us so that he could beat us up and sell us as a slave. Why is that interesting? Because that's what they did to their brother Joseph, didn't they? When Joseph was invited to their house, they were afraid that Joseph wasn't going to do to them what they did to their brother, what they did to him. I got so mad when I read this verse. Side note, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 2, do not judge people because, same way, because the standard that you use to judge other people, God is going to use to judge you. Beware of the way you judge people because that standard of judgment, he's going to apply to you. That's what the brothers are experiencing. They're afraid that Joseph is going to do to them what they did to Joseph. For those of you, for those of us, who are very unkind and judgmental to the people around you, God is warning you. The way that you are unkind to people and the same standard that you're using to judge other people, God's going to apply to you at the end. And you will realize, you're not going to, you don't even meet your own standard. You're, you're going to realize at the end of days that you're not going to even meet your own standards. The same standard that you use other people, you, when you apply those standards to you, you will realize you can't even possibly meet your own standards, let alone God's standards. Be very careful when you pass judgment. Because the standard that you use to judge others, you yourself cannot pass. Why is he so unloving? Why is he this way? Why is she that way? Are you loving? Are you this way? Are you that way? God says, be careful. 
So so the brothers freak out. So the brothers freak out. Oh, no, we're going to be beaten up as other slaves. So because they're so afraid, they confess to the steward. Steward, he says, have you brought us here? You know, if you brought us here to, you know, you know, pass judgment on us, remember, I just want to let you know, we didn't intentionally kept the money for ourselves. We really thought that we used, the, we gave the money to buy grain. We really thought that we paid for it. We really did. We really did thought that we, were, that we paid for it. I think there's a misunderstanding. In fact, we gave gifts and we brought double the money to make up for the first batch of grain and to buy more grain. So we're innocent. They're pleading their innocence to the steward. Judgment oftentimes makes people confess. Right? But as they confess... The steward is gracious to them. The steward steward says, peace to you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has put treasure in your sacks. I received your money. They were deathly afraid. They were really afraid. And they tried to explain themselves. But the way that the steward comforted the brothers is by revealing truth to them. Revealing the truth of what actually happened. Your God provided for you. I received money for you. I received money for, for the grain. This misunderstanding was plaguing them, was making them afraid. But when the steward revealed the truth to them, they felt at peace. I think the main reason why you and I are afraid a lot is because we don't know the truth fully. You and I are anxious because we let our imaginations go wild and untamed. But the way that God exercises his compassion to you is by revealing truth to you. Listen to me carefully. The best way that God shows his love and compassion for you is to reveal truth to you. The best way that God loves you is not to give you what you think you need. That's not the exercise of his love for you. But the best way that he exercises his love for you is to reveal truth to you. You understand? That's why coming to church on Sunday is such a gift. Because it is an opportunity for God to reveal truth to you. That's why having Bibles so readily available at the palm of your hands is a gift. That is why any, any Bible passage is available online. Sermon on any Bible passage is available online in YouTube. That's a gift. He reveals truth to you. 
That's why small groups are a gift, because he reveals truth to you through these different means. His love for you is not making you feel in love with him. That's not his number one love for you. His number one love for you is to reveal truth to you. And I promise you, man, when you seek his face in the truth, he will reveal his truth to you. He's never not revealed truth to me. In all my days, he's never stopped revealing truth to me. And that is how I live. And that is how I'm sustained. And that is how you live. And that is how you're sustained. So, so these brothers who are afraid, God shows compassion by revealing truth. God shows compassion to these brothers. Joseph shows compassion to these brothers by being hospitable to them. Right? So the brothers, no, I'm sorry, before that, so the, the steward tells them what happened. And then Simeon is brought back. Simeon, Simeon is brought to them. The brother who was in prison for a long time because their father refused to send Benjamin. Simeon is finally brought to them. They were afraid that Simeon was going to die. They didn't know what was going to happen to Simeon. But now they know now that Simeon is okay. What a relief. And then Joseph shows compassion to them by showing hospitality to them. He gives them water to wash their hands, to wash. And, they, and, and he has the steward feed their donkeys. It doesn't, what's the big deal with that? What's the big deal about giving them water to wash and feeding their donkeys? That's hospitality. Showing hospitality is the most common, powerful way to show love and compassion to people. Do you know that? Rosaria Butterfield was a former lesbian feminist professor of Syracuse. She's a lesbian. She was a former lesbian feminist professor at Syracuse University. God radically converted her. But the way God, what God used to convert her was the hospitality of a local pastor and his wife. She wanted to know more about Christianity Right? Because she, she was writing a book about how the Bible is wrong. So the, way, so the way she says, the way I will prove the Bible is wrong is by reading the Bible. And when she was reading the Bible, she had more questions. So she reached out to the local pastor, and the local pastor invited this lesbian feminist professor to their homes, to the, his home, share a meal with her for three years, met her for coffee, showed her hospitality. She said, that hospitality God used to radically transform me. She wrote a book called Gospel Comes with a House Key. She's saying the best way that you can love your neighbors and evangelize to your neighbors, the best way that you can serve your church is to be hospitable. Open up your nice homes. And you all have nice homes, by the way. Open up your nice homes. Open up your wallets to go for a Starbucks run. I know Joe Reyes will hate me for it. Go to Starbucks because blue bottle coffee is not as ubiquitous as Starbucks. Or dare we say, go to Dunkin' Donuts, Joe. Go to Dunkin' Donuts. 
right? Be hospitable. You can change someone's life by being hospitable. Joseph was showing kindness to the brothers who almost killed him by opening up his home for them. Joseph appears. And then finally, Joseph comes home. As he appears before them, they fell. Oh, Lord. Joseph speaks kindly to them. How's your father? How are you guys? How's your father? Is he still alive? He shows words of kindness to the very people who beat him up and sold him to slavery. And then he throws a feast for them. Right? He couldn't eat with them because Egyptians and Hebrews is a segregation. There's a, it's a segregation, right? He, Egyptians thought Hebrews were beneath them, so they didn't eat with them. So Joseph ate separately from his brothers. But Joseph allowed, told the stewards, the servants, to bring food from his table to his brothers. What kind of food do you think? Pretty sure Joseph had better food than the brothers' table, right? Because, you know, Joseph is a prime minister. But Joseph gave his food from his table to the brothers who beat him up and tried to kill him. Isn't that crazy? The brothers were living under Joseph's compassion. They just didn't know it until Joseph started doing all these things for them. The brothers did not deserve Joseph's compassion, right? They beat him up. He begged them to stop, but they didn't. He begged them not to do it. But they didn't stop. They threw his empty body to a dry well and sold him, sold him as a slave. To them, he showed kindness, bought them grain, offered hospitality, kind words, fruit from his table, a feast. That is the model of the compassion of God towards his people. The definition of the word of compassion is, I looked it up because I'm a good pastor. Compassion is, compassion is, I'm, sympathetic pity and concern for the suffering and misfortune of others. Sympathy, sympathetic pity and concern for the sufferings and the misfortune of others. That's what compassion is. Look, compassion is a beautiful thing, right? One of the missionaries that we support, G from Seoul, South Korea, she was raised in Gainesville. I don't know, I think she was raised in this area. But she goes to Korea and she works with, people, with, with orphans. 
people whose parents abandoned them. She works with them. That's compassion. There's an organization called Compassion International. It's a Christian organization where they support poor children in the most poorest countries in the world. They feed them, they clothe them, and they also educate and train them. So when they grow up, so that so when they grow up, they could be, they can support their communities. It's a wonderful, beautiful thing, compassion. When I think of compassion, a couple of years ago, a couple of years ago, I think, I was going through this really difficult time at work. And I told Sean and Emily about that difficult time. And Sean and Emily just listened to me. They advised me financially how the best way for me to prepare for the unfortunate. God bless Sean and Emily. And then Ricky and Dan took me out for lunch. Because they wanted to, because they knew I was suffering. That's compassion. It warms my heart thinking how they treated me as a brother. That's the compassion that you and I are called to show. But Joseph's compassion and God's compassion is different. It is one thing to show compassion to the people who are in need. It's another thing to show compassion to the people whom you hate, whom you fundamentally at your core disagree with. Our call to show compassion to those people. Not only to the misfortune people around you, but especially your enemies. The people you cannot stand, the people you think are beneath you, the people that you fundamentally disagree with. You show compassion and grace and kindness because that's the compassion and grace that God showed us. Your calling, Christian, the, your purpose in this world, Christian, is to show compassion to your enemies. That's your number one calling. To show compassion to the people that you disagree with. Look, this is the eureka moment I had this week. You know, look, I, I think I'm a pretty competent lawyer. I'm a competent lawyer. I really am. Not a bragger. Not a bragger if it's true, right? Not a bragger. I'm a pretty good lawyer. How do I know? Every performance review. You know, how, you know how it goes? Every, every performance review. You know how it goes? My, 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 my partner goes, good job. And I go, I know. And that's it. Here's your bonus. That's it. Good job. I know. Here's your money. That's it. That's how my performance review goes. Because I'm that good. And I think I'm a pretty competent preacher. As long-winded as I am, I think I'm pretty competent. And I think I'm a pretty good pastor. But what God tells me is this. Your work is not only as a lawyer or a pastor or a preacher. Your primary work is to show compassion, especially to the people that hurt you. And this became so true a couple of weeks ago. I will tell you my faults. This competent preacher lawyer guy went home on a Sunday and asked my wife to buy me some 
soup, right? Sundeku, right? Blood sausage soup. God bless her. And she bought it, right? She bought blood sausage soup for me, right? And this is on Sunday when I taught about forgiveness and the grace of God. I came home. She ate half of it. And my, one of my brothers said, well, that's a grounds for divorce. And he meant it. And I, I did a market test, and all of you agree with, on my side. I was angry. Shouldn't you be angry? I was, I was upset. Let's be honest. I was upset. Right? But the calling is what do I do when I'm upset? I show compassion and grace to the people, to the person who, who, who stole half my food. Oh, am I making it real to you? I'm making it real to you, am I not? Can I tell you another example? My wife doesn't trust the GPS. She just trusts her feelings. She's like Luke Skywalker. She trusts her feelings rather than the GPS. GPS goes, tells you go this way. Because GPS calculates all the road closures, right? She says, I don't, like, I, don't like, I don't like that road. So she goes, perfectly disobeys the GPS. And it drives me crazy. Why? Because I have to go home and write a sermon, right? What do I do in that moment? I practice compassion and grace. It doesn't... What does it matter if I'm the best lawyer in the world or the best pastor in the world if I can't show compassion and grace to my wife? What good is any of that? What good, what good is any of it if I don't show compassion and grace to the people around me? You need to show compassion and grace to people around you. And the only way that you can do that is to understand the compassion and grace that God showed you on the cross. If it were left to me, I would just fester on the fact, I would just take that blood sausage incident and the GPS incident, and I will put it in my safety deposit box in my brain and use it when it's necessary. But it is when I meditate upon his compassion for me. The desire for retribution is gone. Christian, your life's calling, as great as your job is, as great as your IT consulting job is, as good as your government job is, as good as your CFO job is, as great as your medical practice is, your primary calling is to show grace and compassion to people. And so is mine. And the way to do that is to, be, is to constantly drink from the well of compassion that is in God in Jesus Christ. Do you get me? Let's pray.